Hey everyone, this is Randy of the Bun Me Chronicles podcast, and dare I say it, this is the final episode of my show. And before I introduce my final farewell episode, I have a few things to say. And gotta say, it's been four years since I started the podcast, and several months before the pandemic. And who knew that when I started, that we would be in this global turmoil and experience so many different movements that have happened since the pandemic, uh, including the Stop Asian Hate and the Black Lives Matter movement that was going on since George Floyd and so many more issues that have impacted our Asian American communities. And I want to acknowledge uh, a few things. Um, I got to say thank you to my guest. I could not have done the show without the participation engagement from my guests. Uh, I mean, you know, bringing in authors, writers, artists, educators, activists, and different folks from all kinds of life from the Asian American communities has been a powerful experience. And it's a privilege to hold these spaces, to have these conversations with them. And I appreciate their ability to share their stories story to share their blueprint in their work um to tap into their vulnerability and this show could not be possible without them and i really hope that you enjoy uh all of these episodes and so thank you to all of them uh there's too many of the names so uh the next thank yous go to my sponsors and without my sponsors, I don't know if my show would have lasted nine seasons. And gotta say, I really appreciate their support, their belief in my work, and it means so much to have their backing. I want to thank you, the listeners, and how much that really means to how much it really means to me that you would take an hour out of your day to listen to my show, to, to experience um, the stories and the topics that I am very passionate about. And so thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to my show, for DMing me, for letting me know the impact that it had on you. And I couldn't I could not have done it without you and you all are very inspiring to my work. Uh, I know I'm speaking out the cuff here because I'm not really good at doing this um, because there's so much to say in this uh, short amount of time that I that I have. So I want to say that it's been a journey. It's been uh, an opportunity for me to grow as a person. And because of the podcast, it has taught me to deepen my compassion, to learn about the issues surrounding our community, to be in community with so many incredible folks. And I cannot tell you how proud I am of our community as a whole because of the work that we have done. And as a podcaster, it's my responsibility to document this history-making and future-making work that we are doing, that we are laying the groundwork for our younger generations, and that we are giving ourselves a spot in history, and that we have an opportunity to create our own platform 
where for so long, we never got that opportunity. But here we are, you know, doing podcasts, doing blogs, doing TikToks. We're everywhere in our community. So let that continue. With that said, I want to share with you my final episode that I did with Kenneth Wynn, who is the host of the Vietnamese podcast, which I am a big fan of. This is a podcast that you would want to listen to, to tune into. Um, such an excellent interviewer. And I'm and a big fan of his. And I chose him because I felt like he can ask and engage with the most important questions. And we had a great conversation about um, the genesis of my podcast, uh, the motivation, the inspiration that it took me to do this work and also some of my favorite episodes that we got into. So you won't want to miss it. Uh, many thanks to Kenneth for being able to agree to do this. And other than that, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I could not have done this without all of your participation. And thank you for making this such a beautiful journey. And I will not disappear from all of you, um, maybe from the podcast for a while, but I hope to reemerge uh, one day. And you can find me if you want to follow me on Instagram at bunmi underscore chronicles, or you can go to Facebook page, uh, the Bun the Me Chronicles. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful time listening to this final episode. Hi, everyone. So welcome to the Bummy Chronicles. This is Randy Kim. And so today is the last closing episode of my show. And I am here with a dear friend of mine. His name is Kenneth Wen. Uh, he is the host of the Vietnamese podcast, which I am a big fan of. And we've crossed paths a few times. I've been on the show and he's also uh, been in a what we call a swap episode, I believe. I don't know how to, but he, but his episode is actually featured on my podcast as well. And I am so thankful and so honored to have him to be the interviewer this time around. So how are you feeling today, Kenneth? I feel nervous. Really? I, why? Why is that? I, I tell you why. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me uh, be the host uh, asking questions for your final episode. I feel very honored. The reason I feel nervous is because um, I think I've shared this with you personally and on uh, live um, podcasts before. You have laid the, the groundwork for somebody like me to to do the work that I do. I remember when I didn't start yet, I was tuning into your show, um, watching what you were doing and your moves, uh, along with Tracy over at the um, Vietnamese Boat uh, podcast. Um, and I watched you and her, uh, and I so I consider you both uh, pioneers in the space of where we are today. So without you and Tracy, um, there would be no me and other people like me in the Vietnamese podcast space. So I feel nervous uh, having uh, to sit in this seat today to to talk to you. Yeah, no, thank you for doing this. But also, 
Yeah, I have such profound respect for what you've done. Uh, and I really greatly appreciate uh, the praise that you give to both me and Tracy, because I know that we started about four years ago. Tracy started out ahead before I did, and I'll get more into that later on. But yeah, but to see you grow as a podcaster and to see you grow as a community person the last few years is just tremendous. And I'm just so thankful to be in community with you. Thank you, but this is not about me today. This is about you. <laughs> so I know. I'm gonna, to, I'm gonna have to like learn how to turn to that off. Turn that off today. I, I know you're gonna be hitting me up with questions because you 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 pre-warned me, so it's all fair game. And I think you know the important part is it being a conversation between two people who love and respect each other. You know, I mean, that's how I feel about all my guests. You know, it's about dialogue with people that we love and respect, and we respect the work that they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what made you decide to start the Bond Me Chronicles? What was the origin story of this? Well, back in 2016, the name Bond Me Chronicles happened when this is before I even thought of doing a podcast. I thought about writing a series of short stories, which still hasn't happened yet. But I was eating uh, at a bun me shop with my mom and I thought to myself what would I name this next blog or next uh, short story book if I were to write one and I thought the bun me chronicles just came up to my head because I'm a lover of the bun me sandwich but also because uh, bun me is like a fusion of the French and Vietnamese influence it's it's we I think about the assimilation aspect of it. I think of the Western as the Western assimilation. I think of the the struggles of navigating between what is palatable for such a long time from my own identity as a queer Vietnamese Khmer American. I thought about palatability quite a bit until I realized that it did me no good. So I thought about what it was like to be scared to bring Vietnamese food into school. And the bunny sandwich was in some ways a safer bet because it looked very Western enough. So I thought about that name quite a bit in terms of how I related to my life. And Chronicles is that journey. It's an, it's an ongoing journey. And about somewhere in 2019, I was doing storytelling and I was working with a former mentor of mine. She had talked to me one day and said, I know you've been working with me for quite a while, but I need to see you fly on your own. I need to see you develop your wings because you have potential to do something that is more to your liking, that's not just based on her vision, but you need to have your own vision. And I could see you doing that. And I did not know what that platform was gonna look like for me. And it wasn't until I was promoting storytelling events and on other people's podcasts, the Gaijin podcast being one of them, which is now Queer Asian Social Club and the Vietnamese Boat People podcast. And I, being on their shows, I really had such a powerful, fun experience with Tracy and Maya Reddy. And, I thought, man, this is going to be something that I should be doing. And it also reminded me back to my time as a journalism student 
years ago when I was struggling to find opportunities to go into that field as an Asian American. And I thought about how difficult it was to be in these predominantly white spaces and how it nearly crushed me to not be able to realize my dream, to realize my potential. And I felt that I wanted to start this podcast as a way to start my own platform, to think about the things that I love doing, community work, to talk about diaspora, to, to connect with folks who share a lot of the same experiences, but also as a love letter to my younger versions of myself, my 10-year-old self that did not know who Yuri Kochiyama or Grace Lee Boggs were, to as a love letter to my 15-year-old self that used to see that was taught that Asians were the enemies in many cases in our history books, whether it's the Japanese with World War II or with the Vietnam with the Vietnamese in the Vietnam War. And I also did this as a love letter to my 20-year-old, my 25-year-old self that struggled in the journalism field. Um, and to as a love letter to my not out to not to my not out my out self and so I wanted to do these things to honor my own past my own history but also to honor the community that I've been in connection with for a number of years the, the community that has helped me to uh, be who I am and expand my compassion in the work that I've done but also I think about the history that we want to share, the the legacy that uh, that many Asian Americans have so much to offer in this work, and how can we uh, set the blueprint for our younger generation? So it's a long-winded answer, but yeah, I, I would say it's definitely been a way of, as a love letter to my past self, but also a future letter to our future generations that deserve to hear these stories that we weren't taught growing up. I always have like a thousand questions when somebody answers long-winded like that. Um, so I am going to kind of pick apart. Um, there's a structure to what I want to ask, but I got to like leave the structure real quick. And I want to ask these love letters contain um, the thought of, interviewing people within our community. What were some of the early criteria that you had for guests to come on to kind of express some of the views of this love letter? And then how has that criteria changed throughout the years? That is a wonderful uh, question that you ask here. I think about when I was doing my first season, I wanted to interview folks locally that I knew from the organizing spaces. I thought about my experience as a former storyteller. And in my storytelling experiences, I would perform in predominantly white spaces, unfortunately. Even in Chicago, as diverse as that city is, the storytelling scene is predominantly white. And I would leave a lot of these storytelling shows feeling very... Um, feeling very inadequate, feeling very uneasy because there were times when audience members, you know, well-intentioned, 
audience members would just come up to me and just, you know, share their stories, but also try to over empathize with you, you know, in a way or feeling sorry. And, and also I just never felt right. I just never felt like I found community spaces. And I thought about <clears throat> wanting to bring in guests who have, who are willing to have agency in sharing their stories. Um, because in the storytelling, in the storytelling scene, I felt that there was so much potential among BIPOC, especially in our Asian community that should be telling their stories in the first place. I thought about the work that they have done that hasn't been talked about, that, um, that hasn't been, um, that hasn't been, they haven't been given opportunities to share their blueprint, their own blueprint. I think about this quite a bit in <clears throat> harnessing my show and what do I want guests to share? I want them to be able to have agency, to not share stories of trauma porn, you know? I want them to share stories that actually feel that there is agency, that there is an opportunity to share what the abundance looks like, the celebration in their own lives can look like, the complications in these stories that, you know, not everything is black and white. Um, a lot of our stories are always going to be in the gray. And for me, I'm interested in talking about stories, not about of triumph, but about complexities, about nuances. And in some ways, yes, there's triumph, there's celebration. And I think that has to be included in a way, but also that our stories are not about just trauma, which I felt I've saw quite a bit. And I felt like some of the storytelling producers pushed more towards trauma. And I did not want to go in that direction. I wanted the agency to come out. I wanted to be able to chat with guests to see where their stories are at and what do they feel most comfortable sharing and being able to help honor that and to help create that space for them to, to share in a way that feels authentic and that feels safe for them. You know, in the journey of getting better at podcasting and asking questions and interviewing, there is a sort of balance uh, in the skill set, right? And you kind of like you learn after you listen to your, your stuff. Where did the learning most happen uh, in the the difficulty or in the ones that you had ease with the, the guests? Where did you learn the most in the technical side of podcasting? Ooh, it probably happens during the recording because as much as I have prepared, as much as I do uh, pre-chats with the audience, with, uh, with my guests, there are certain times when a story that they tell can get very challenging. And it also requires for me to figure out how to respond to that in a way that feels authentic, that feels caring, and that feels <clears throat> that feels like I'm not exploiting the trauma. I think that has always been my um challenge each episode that I do because because for me 
I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a podcaster, but I also have a responsibility to make sure that at least my guests are okay. And what I end up doing is doing a lot of debriefs with them. Sometimes I've had some guests that would ask me to take certain things out as I'm about to record or as I'm as I'm about to put up the episode. And that is okay. And I've learned that you will be dealt with these situations that may require extra work. But for me, it is okay because the trust in my guests is too important to me. And if I lose that, and if I am so focused on, let's say being a journalist or being a, or being very focused about what my editor might think, then I'm losing, then I stand the chance of losing the trust on my guests because I know for myself that it is, it is so critical that that they are okay, that they that they feel safe with this episode and that I'm not causing harm to release an episode that can actually hurt them. So it does require work, yes, but it is also necessary in order for us to learn as podcasters to understand that it is not just a technical aspect of this work that we're focusing on. We're talking about people's lives. We're talking about their stories and that it is a privilege for us to hold them. That's a very um, empathetic position that you, you have. And I respect it because uh, in the work that I do, I, I can relate to that really that distinction that we rely on the, the faith of the guests and whatever faith that they have in us is so important. And in the journey of having that faith and, and, and that, um, that kind of like that uh, community, did you ever have crushing experiences um, and that you couldn't air in the early days? I have not, surprisingly. Uh, I think it's because I did my homework as much as I could. And also because I would spend time with guests who were um, who were willing to come onto my show. And also guests who were kind of sort of in between. But I had to talk it over with them to see where they're at. And if they can't do it, then they can't do it. But, but for the most part... I haven't had that experience, but I've had some episodes where it has drained me mentally, where it has, where sometimes the vicarious trauma and the preparation of something that can be very um, triggering or challenging can actually make it very difficult for me to process, process it until after the episode is finished after the recording is finished and and I find myself needing to create some distance from the work you know after hearing something that's very profound but uh, I would say that I haven't had any crushing experiences but I've had experiences that have certainly exhausted me for sure when you first set out to create this podcast what was your vision for the show and where did you want it to kind of affect people? How did you want it to be felt? 
That's um, that's a great question too. I, I love how you I love how you ask these questions. Um, I'd say when I first started, I was focused on this on Chicago because that's where my home base is, and I was more focused on on as I was saying earlier to share the blueprint of the work because. I came from more of a community lens. I serve on the board for the National Cambodian Heritage Museum. I was a volunteer with I2I, which is an Asian LGBTQIA group. Uh, I had done some level of community participation in the, in the last several years prior to my podcast work. And so I wanted to bring stories of people who have personal stories of how they came into the work uh, to talk about whether it's a refugee experience, the immigrant experience, uh, the assimilation process. Um, I rem I usually tell people, uh, people have asked me what my podcast is about, and I talk to them, it's about diaspora, it's about assimilation, it's about community empowerment. Those are the three things I focus heavily on because they all are interconnected with one another. And the diaspora and the assimilation being in America have in a way informed us to take action, to, to build our own communities, to find ways to better our own communities, do some of our own traumatic experiences, but also, also experiences that have, have honed, that have helped to shape our, 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 um, I don't know what's the right word, to help shape our, the joys of our experiences too, on top of that. So I have to say that, uh, that I wanted my guests to be able to, I wanted my audience first to, to hear these stories because I feel like it's, it's not a singular story that you hear on the mainstream Asian American stories where there's like the success stories, the model minority. I wanted stories that are complex, that are very relatable because, because many in our Asian American communities are not wealthy uh, success stories. Uh, many of them grew up in uh, working class, middle class situations and I want to talk about issues that are very relevant in our communities that aren't, that aren't talked about, whether it's on deportation issues, whether it is on talking about anti-Blackness in our own families, to talk about issues that we're not talking enough about. So I wanted to have people listen in to hear these stories of the struggles of feeling othered, but also in ways that we are taking agency to make changes in our community. I'm going to do a flipperoo on you. I'm going to do sure. I'm going to pull a quick one on you right now, Randy. Before you, I'm going to give you some time to think about this question. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm going to give you some time to think about your favorite episode in your podcast. And before I do that, I'm going to give you three of my favorite episodes in your All podcast. right. Okay. 
<laughs> Let's uh, see. And if you want to give, no, I'm going to go first, and then you're going to go, and you can give me one of your favorites or three. I'm going to give you three of my favorites of your episode, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bye. My probably my favorite one is the Tony uh, Ho Tran one, and he talks about the DNA testing. Um, that one hit home for me uh, because so often we think and assume that we are certain things, and we are we it could be completely uh, blown out of proportion on what you think, or it could be mind blowing devastation that could wreak havoc. And, and, you know, just hearing Tony's story was like, it was, it was a really cool, uh, I, I could really relate to that one. The other one that I really liked was the Virginia win and Stacy, um, Stacey Young. Young. Yeah. yeah. Education is probably something that you and I hold very near and dear to us. Uh, the education um, space is something that is um, maybe 20, 30 years ago was not, uh, you know, Asian Americans weren't easily identified as teachers in America. And so the journey of these two, one being Japanese American, one being Vietnamese American, um, the concurrent uh, ways that they look at their own family histories were were just really terrific. And I like what you did with that episode. And then uh, last but certainly not least is Viet Five. Uh, Tuan's episode, the way you handle his story, um, I can tell you, and this is probably inside jokes between us, uh, is so empathetic and not exploitative of what his what journey has been through. So I have a lot of respect for what you did in his in his um, in his episode. So those three, I um, really uh, suggest the audience to go and listen. I mean, these are my personal favorites. So now I'm going to turn the the mic over to you. Wow. I love these episodes very much. And those are great episodes too. I, I love Tony. I love Virginia to death and Stacy and, and Tuan. I mean, they gave me so much in those episodes and with such candidness. So yeah, shout out to all four of them. And so there's three episodes that are, that really stand out to me that I will power through. Um, the first episode's got to be one with Wen Fun Quan Mai, who I know you've had on your show. She's the author of The Mountain Sing and her recent book, Dust Child. And one of the things that she said to me that stood out was, in her book, Dust Child, she talks about the ethnic minorities that were discriminated against, Black, Asian, Black Vietnamese folks that were discriminated very heavily in Vietnam after the war, during and after the war. And as a person who's also Cambodian and Vietnamese, the relationship between Vietnam and Cambodia has always been so complex and very triggering, uh, especially in the Cambodian community. And she actually calls out the Vietnamese government for its discrimination against Cambodians and also with <clears throat> other ethnic minorities in Vietnam in a way that I have not heard a Vietnamese person did has ever done and I was stunned and I was shocked but she had such compassion and such uh, a vigor to how we need to do better to do what's right and I felt that was so validating for me to hear that and I felt that for other Cambodians this is this is the kind of voices that we need to hear more from the Vietnamese community in terms of that. So I thought that she took a a big 
gamble uh, or I wouldn't say gamble, but to take a, to, to put herself forward in front of the Vietnamese community to do something like that, which is not very popular to do, which no one ever wants to touch, but she did something that was so profound. And I just thought she, overall, the interview was just, was filled with compassion. It was filled with love. It was filled with, with just, uh, a way of helping to understand the complexities of each of her character in Dust Child. I, I, I highly recommend people to read that book. The second episode that I did, which was very challenging, was the Christian Ha family episode. Uh, Christian Ha was a 19-year-old Chinese-American adoptee who was murdered by police during a mental health break at the end of 2020. And I decided to talk to his family members about a year plus after his death. And so far, none of the policemen were charged with his murder. The, um, the, the Pennsylvania is not able to open up the case against the police department. Uh, there's something in the context, there's something, there's some law that they aren't able to do it. Uh, I can't remember what it is exactly, but I wanted to talk about Christian about who Christian was as a person. This was a narrative that was lost when history was covered. It was all about the last 90 seconds of his death, of his murder. And, but nothing about who he was as a child. What was it, the struggles of him being adopted, which was also big, a big part of the narrative and also uh, one of the factors in his own mental health struggles. And, I talked with his family and had them on and they spoke so candidly about his childhood, what he meant to them, who he was. And it was so beautiful to bring that narrative out because that was a narrative that was not talked about. And that was something I think about my own show is like, I want to bring out these stories that humanize people that humanizes the flaws, that humanizes the joy. And he had a lot of that uh, going for him. Um, and one of the things that stood out in that episode was I had no intention of bringing up what happened to him in the last 90 seconds. And I remembered I was talking and I thought he, the father, uh, Mr. Hall, was going to say something. And he said, no, I wasn't going to say anything. But then he continued and he talked about the impact of what the police did in those 90 seconds. And I thought that that that, the, that one minute of him being so passionately angry and rightfully so about what the police did to his son was actually one of the more important moments of of that episode and probably one of my in my own podcasting career too because it showed the impact of what that loss was felt and and why we are still why people are still fighting for him you know, for his justice and the last one so all right this might get me very emotional so bear with me so today's august 16th and August 16th is the day that, uh, and 2019, that my friend Alan passed away of suicide. And I, before I even scheduled this interview with you, I had no idea that I was going to put it on that date. It just, I wasn't thinking none. But that episode that I did with his friend, Joanna, 
was the second episode of my podcast. And it was about a month after he had passed. And I got to say, I got to say that it's crazy to me how I was able to do to even to ask Joanna, who I had never met until after the funeral or who I had not connected until after the funeral. And we were both grieving over his loss because it was so sudden. And Alan was also Asian-American. He was born a week after me. We were about the same age, went to the same university, ironically. We both had a lot of weird alignments. Uh, and I, I think when his death happened, not only was it shocking, but he had also taken himself off of social media. So there's no way for us to memorialize him. And I thought that his, I thought that when it looked like people were kind of moving on separately from his passing, Joanne and I just could not, you know, move on like that. We, we've, I think we needed each other during that time. And, and also we wanted to honor Alan because who, because there's no way for us to honor him online. And I thought to myself, as I was starting my podcast, I asked her, would you like to be on my podcast? Let's do a show to honor him. And, and also in that episode, Joanne and I also talk about our own mental health struggles and I have to give her kudos for doing that, for being able to be so vulnerable in that episode. But also we wanted to talk about who Alan was as a person and the joy that he had and not to let it be defined by like, like similar to Christian Hall, the final acts of his death. And I have to say that it shaped the way I would do my podcast in terms of how I handle trauma do I always get it right? Not always, but I wanted to do something that felt, as I mentioned earlier, that brought agency, that brought a sense of celebration, that brought a sense of fullness into the episode. And I'm quite proud of that episode, but it's also crazy to me that that this was a, literally the second episode of my podcast. And it would actually shape the way that I would do my show moving forward and how I handle my guests, my relationships with my guests, but also how I want to talk about these very difficult issues that are sometimes taboo in our community. What did you learn after that first season of podcasting? I felt that there was more digging through. Um, I felt like Chicago was not enough for me. I wanted to talk to more people. I wanted to talk to folks outside of Chicago. I wanted to, um, I wanted to expand on issues besides just Chicago. And also, I mean, Chicago is still central to my show because I still have guests on their local. But I felt like there were more people that, that we that I needed to talk to that have very important stories to tell. I I, I definitely say that that was 
absolutely the first thing I learned uh, from that first season is that I didn't want to just limit myself to one city. I wanted to expand across the U.S. because I felt that there was so much more to offer that not only do people locally can really resonate with, but also um, the conversations that we need to have as a as a as a as an entire collective. And what are some of the challenges that you experience from day one that have become easier? And then what are the things that you thought were easy that have become real challenges? I would say that last question, the promotion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, about that. I used to love promoting things. I used to love promoting events, my episodes all the time, and it has become a chore. I, I will be honest with you, to do these preview audio clips and to do the um to to do the social media aspect of it and the sponsorships on top of it i did not enjoy it as much as time went on and it's like it's also why i'm not doing a sponsorship this season for my final season because i feel like it's it's enough work i i'm trying to limit myself and just move on but i have to say that uh was something i used to enjoy but just dread doing now um but what's gotten easier i'd have to say the interviewing process has gotten better for me uh i used to remember how nervous i would get for about an hour before recording i remember the first time i interviewed via ton win uh back in my second season in 2020 and how i i have to say that he probably saw me as a student journalist you know he I did not think he took me seriously at all. I think he just did it, at least in my opinion, from the 2020 lenses I, that I was going through. I felt like, oh, yeah, he's not going to take me seriously. He's probably just doing it out of obligation. And I was very nervous. I have to admit, I, it took me about 10 to 20 minutes to calm down during the interview and to kind of not trying to match his wits because this man is incredibly intelligent, as you know. Uh, but I had to learn how to be myself. I interviewed him for my final season, and I realized how relaxed I was. I wow. realized how I could have a good conversation with him, and you know, we had a great time. So I could see the difference, the shift in those three years. That is a very interesting point. So that leads me to wonder: Does our growth? affect the way we see people because I'm sure that how you saw Viet Tan win the first time on your podcast compared to the second time you had him on the growth that you experienced is actually the shift in how we perceive people right yeah absolutely I think it certainly makes me realize that um I will say that there is yeah, a former mentor um, once challenged me, says, why do you need to have celebrities on your show too? You know, she was challenging me on that. And I had to go back and tell her that I look back at my mission, that if you have the stories that talk about diaspora assimilation and community empowerment, celeb whether you're prolific or not, it doesn't matter. I, I'm going to be very 
blunt about that. Um, I also think of them as those that some of these folks that have been doing this work, this is the time for them to share the blueprint. This is the time for them to to honor their work, but also to inspire younger folks or any or all ages for that matter to to take on action to to take on some level of action in their work whether it's a conversation with their own family members to begin with but i felt that i felt that a lot of um i don't know if i'm answering your question here but i felt that a lot of times when i think about the guests that i bring i think about what can you share as part of our history that can be part of our history making tools? Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question or I feel like I'm kind of zigzagging around a little bit here. No, 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 not at all. It makes me think about this whole celebrity uh, point that you brought up. I began to understand and observe that what we define sometimes as celebrity is not a celebrity to other to most other people. Like there's some famous people that I had pedestalized and worshipped, and but the majority of the people don't know who these people are, right? The absolutely, book, it's all relative. Absolutely, and also like there are many people that don't even know who Helen Zia is, and this is the person who was fighting for Vincent Chin's, uh, for the justice for Vincent Chin. No one knows. There are many people that. There are people in the organizing community that know who she is, but in terms of the mainstream landscape, hardly any. Yeah. So, I mean, what we think of celebrity is very subjective. And, and this um, is why when I think about your work, uh, it brings me a little sadness to um, to have any sort of finality right now. And I hope that, you know, and you and I talk about this at nauseam. We talk about you know the endurance the uh the the long journey of of doing what we do it's not easy it's a it's a lot of work and sometimes it's um there's there's days where you just uh you're questioning and so when i think about the celebrities quote unquote or when i think about you uh doing the work of exposing the Helen Z's of the world and showing the world, the mainstream world, or anybody that is even listening, it is a diamond uh, for our community. It It is a necessary, we need not just one Randy Kim's, we need like a hundred Randy Kim's and to lose one Randy Kim that we only really it only have- It might be a scary world having that many of me around. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know uh, the the listening audience, but Randy is a very tall man. Uh, we got a, a, an opportunity to have lunch <laughs> when you were in L.A. Um, a few months back, and it was such a pleasure to meet your mother and to sit and, and break bread. No, it, re it really was. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely just wonderful to even share that opportunity. But yeah, that's what the podcasting experience is allowed me to do it's yeah. allowed me to build to connect with community it's allowed me to connect with people like yourself it's allowed me to um to have my ears to the ground on what's going on in our community so i've been very blessed to to be given the knowledge and to acquire um the wisdom from so many 
folks, whether they've been my guests or my audience, and and some of my audience members have been just tremendous. They've reached out to me, and I've learned a lot from their work, what their how, stories are. How much of the needle, the societal needle, the proverbial needle, do you think podcasters shift uh, within society and within your own mind? Ooh. Yikes, that's a, uh, I think it really depends. I think it really depends. I'm not saying that podcasts can change people's lives in that sense, but it helps to inform. It helps to, um, to hear voices that are not always being given to others that we don't hear enough from. Um, I think podcasters in general have a weird reputation in this in this landscape because of because of the uh the falsehoods that have come through like the false information that's come through in this day and age and and it's all about you know the emotions of these narratives but I think when done in a right in a in a way that's ethical but also in a way that is compassionate then I think it can help to shift some minds. I think it can really um, help to foster some level of community. I don't know if I have the answer to that, but it's it's a great question. I think it's an ongoing question that we're still asking ourselves, are we making impact on this work? Um, and the question is, am I making impact on this work? I feel like maybe for some people, it like from what people have shared with me in the past, that this episode is what they need. If that's what they share with me, then I have nothing but gratitude, to, you know, to my listeners yeah. for doing that. I, I want to comment on 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 specifically your work. Um, it's like a, the butterfly effect if you think about it, right? Because there's a lot of guests that I've never heard of. So going through your catalog, um, it gives me a perspective, and I can also imagine how the guests have a video or audio reference point that they can send out into the world as a sort of CV or a resume for their work. So I think that that kind of community building is the essence of progress. And so it's like the butterfly effect that, you know, some butterfly wing or migration pattern in South America shifts weather patterns and those weather patterns create uh, beauty or destruction further out into the world, your episodes um, have the opportunity to do that and live on uh, for basically the rest of the time that this sort of platform exists in the world. No, thank you for sharing. And also, like, I look at Tracy Wen Mang of the Vietnamese Boat People podcast. If I wasn't on her show a couple of months before I, I debuted mine, who knows if this the platform I would have taken on. So it did have this butterfly effect on me. And yeah, I've had some people that have told me that I started a podcast because of you or that I have done this work because of listening to this or I had this conversation with my parents. And as I mentioned, like, yeah, I have nothing but gratitude for that. I mean, I may not have the Joe Rogan audience. I may not have... um. 2000 streams per episode so what I, I mean for me it's about 
the people that I need that I was re that I've been reaching all this time. And if I get 200 people to listen to it, that at the end of the day, that's 200 people more than I would have gotten than I had I not yeah. started. Yeah. Imagine being in an auditorium and having 200 people listen to it. That's what it's really about. Absolutely. You know, somebody uh, the other night um, brought up a, a really good point. Uh, it's like these smaller podcasts like ours are like deep sea fishing. We don't cast these wide nets and then bring these big catches in like all this fish and, you know, we take it to the market. We go out with very specific boats that catch big bluefin tuna. Mm. And the big fin blue tuna is the audience. It's a very, uh, it's one fish. It's a very specific niche, but it's, 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 it's valuable. And it's valuable because we are getting to the issues that are not being talked about. And if 200 people in an auditorium is listening to a conversation that's recorded by you and a guest, that makes all the impact of that butterfly theory. And also, I'm not interested in palatability. I'm not interested in making people comfortable all the time. And I'm not interested in putting out very, very safe topics, you know, because that's what sells in the podcasting world. I'm not going to name names, but there are podcasts that I have seen that exploit the model minority myth quite a bit um and it's like okay but what about the other parts of the community that we're not talking about the the things that we are not the things that are not the most popular to talk about but but are also very urgent so you're always going to have audience members that are not going to tune into that work on, on a mainstream level but if you're focusing on specific issues you're going to get specific people they're going to tune in, whether it's educate, like I've had educators on, I've had activists and artists on. Those are people that I tend to draw more towards. Those are people I tend to be in most conversations with. And, and I'm thankful for the people I've come across. Um, and if there are people who, if there's a random person that comes across my podcast and that is curious you know, I, I can be grateful for that. I, I don't feel like I need to get a wide size audience because I feel like that means I would have to change the way I do my work. And I'm not about that. I don't mean to put you on the spot with this question, but the podcast that you do spotlights activists and academics and intellectuals that move the needle in our community. Do you follow other podcasts that are similar to yours. And the reason I ask this question is because once you go off air and you're not doing new episodes, where can we find similar podcasts that do what you do? Good question. Uh, I'm a fan of politically Asian podcasts. I think that they do the dirty, but entertaining work of politics that I don't get a chance to cover much of, but I feel like their work is very aligned to what I've done in the past. The Being These Both People podcast, I have a special place in my heart for that work. I've mentioned them several times throughout the episode. I am a fan of your podcast. I mean, not to put you on the spot, but um, 
there's not very many that I can uh, attune to, stay attuned to. But I think what you do is you bring people from all walks of life in the Vietnamese community. And the way you ask questions, they're deep, or they're, they're full of deep dives that are so, um, that provokes deeper responses is something that I admire. So I would say those three for now um, stand out for me. I'm pretty sure there's more, but I just can't name all of them at the moment. So forgive me to some of my podcasting colleagues. What is your next chapter? My next chapter. I like to give myself a lot of rest from this. Uh, <laughs> that's the first thing that I need. My friend Joy, who's also a former guest of my show, says, like, yeah, but you've said this all the time. You never rest. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be very intentional about that. That's the first thing I need to do. I think sometime next year, I'd like to start a Substack newsletter. I'd like to, to feature a newsletter that talks about BIPOC creatives, something that I haven't been able to venture off yet. So that might be in the works. But until then, I'm going to give myself a lot of rest. And also just give myself some rest to to find inspiration in my next creativity because I feel like that's where you get the next, that's where you find the next creative platform is when you actually rest and allow yourself to absorb what is happening outside of you. Speaking of rest, don't, don't think for a minute you're going to get away with uh, this next question. Oh, Lord. <laughs> We'll keep it light because it is a very light question, but a fun question. Um, All right. You've been to a lot of concerts in yes. the last few months, and I've been watching um, how fun it is for you. What gives? Why uh, Why concerts? Um, why uh, so many? And what draws you to the ones that you picked uh, to go to? I'm, a, I'm such a music head and music has always been my outlet uh, for as long as I've been a baby. And I got to say, like, I'm drawn by the stage. I'm drawn by the energy of the audience. I'm drawn by, like, the, the anticipation of a show when it's about to begin. Like, there's nothing more exciting when the first light turns off and then the second light's go off completely and it goes completely dark and then you hear the audience just cheering. I think that's such a, a dopamine hit for me. Uh, I pick a lot of different artists because I'm more about the stage presence. I'm more about not just to be entertained, but also about, about seeing myself in them, you know, like the wardrobe because I love wardrobe. I love being able to dance, you know, I love being able to just, to just feel free in those two hours in the in the one to two hours that you're in that you're in that venue you know just just to see the action happen and to let the imagination take its the imagination of that artist manifest itself on stage i i like as you said i've been to a lot of concerts actually Vietnam when before we recorded he was asking me about that too and he was like man you go to a lot of concerts and i was like yeah i sure have i think Part of it's because I just turned 40 recently. I was in grad school the last few years prior to this. And then we had a pandemic, which made it it difficult to go to shows. So I felt like all of my favorite artists happened to be performing. But what all of them have in common 
uh, whether it's Janet Jackson, Twice, which is a K-pop group, Stevie Nicks, uh, Grace Jones, Beyonce. It's like they all have that stage presence. They all have the ability to just um, provoke the audience in in a way that brings out the best in them. And I and I enjoy that experience. It's I don't know if I'm capturing the essence of it. Um, the next show that I'm going to, and I just got tickets for it, and it's, it's in about a week and a half. Is Guns and Roses. Mm. Uh, and then wow. I'm seeing and I'm seeing Janelle Monet like in September. Wow. So it's gonna be like I think this is it for the year. Maybe not. Don't, Who don't knows? I you know I always end up saying that, but somehow I end up adding another show to my and, repertoire. But and, my wallet is not forgiving me. I can tell you that. And do you go with other people, or you just go by yourself? Sometimes I'll go with other people, but I like to go by myself because one, if I'm passionate enough about the artist, I'm not waiting for my friends to give me an answer it's more like i just and also I, I tend to make friends when i'm at a show too so it just happens that i can just easily mingle with people you know because it's like we're sharing the passion for that artist and and we're sharing the passion for their what their creative creativity does for us not so much the celebrity aspect of it but the creativity that they pour in and how that affects us in a way you know what what ideas can be tapped into, you know, what can we consider? What are the messages behind their music and their visuals? So do you have any temporary parting thoughts for us? Because if we don't catch you back up on episodes, we'll can hopefully see you in blogs or, uh, you know, Substack or I, I, I say temporary because, you know, I, I pray that this is not the last that we hear your voice. Uh, no. with audio or, or reading no i don't think it, and actually like i told a few people that i love community too much to disappear i cannot see myself disappearing from community that's the first thing i will say uh it's just right now i'm thinking about how do i um how do i find something that is inspiring me that's still that's still um that's still focus on the love of my community and that still feeds my curiosity. I think curiosity is never going to disappear. As long as I'm, I'm still curious, I'm going to have something to offer. But I think I'm just trying to figure out what that's going to look like. The podcasting world has been great for the past four years, but I felt like the stop, rinse, and repeat has been kind of like worn me out the last year. So I feel that I need something that's going to be a little bit more different. But I will... I will honestly say that, yeah, I don't plan to disappear from community and I plan to still keep my ears to the ground and, you know, and still help to uplift creatives in this work that need more amplifying. Thank you so much for having me in the host seat today. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed hearing your responses, but more importantly, um, having the audience get a deeper understanding of who you are after all these seasons of, you know, hearing you ask questions, you know, I think it's a, a, a big treat for your audience to get to know you and, you know, flip the script here a little bit. Yeah, no, thank you so much for doing this. And, and really thank you. And I hope that your show continues on for a while as well. And, and also what a joy it's been just, speaking with you and also with the audience about my journey and 
And also, I hope that inspires people to find their own platform, whether it's a podcast, a blog, or or any kind of uh, medium that works for them, because your stories are very important. Are you interested in keeping in touch with audiences um, after this? Absolutely. My Instagram is not going to disappear. So my Instagram is still bunme underscore chronicles. You can still reach me there. Um, I have a Facebook page uh, under the bunme chronicles, so I'm not going to disappear anytime soon. So no worries, folks. It's going to be a little bit of time, but I'll still peep in here and there. Thank you so much, Randy. All right. Thank you.